Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you. And I really do think the weather is giving everybody a little bit of a lift. I was out uh, and about yesterday and you could just see it in people. People seem to be a little bit happier and there was more smiles from people. It's amazing how the weather affects us all. And it kind of reminds me, do you remember when we went into the very first lockdown two years ago? In many ways, it seems like the other day and in other ways, it seems many, many years ago. Remember, we had that really good spell of weather. I think that really got us through the first lockdown. We were not to know of course at that time that we would be still looking at lockdowns nearly two years later it would be two years before all of the restrictions uh, would be lifted so if you get the chance when the sun does shine get out and enjoy it Bernie's taking your call sitting in for John Paul this week at 0818 103 103 texts and whatsapps are also available at 0862 103 103 and texts and whatsapps are already coming in including one from Stephen thank you for this uh, Stephen in Mayfield said Patricia you might on your programme today remind listeners that revenue are taking the money for the local property tax from people's bank accounts across this uh, week. So people need to make sure, said Stephen, that funds are available, particularly those that work on very tight margins with their bank accounts. And Stephen is right. Revenue are this week uh, taking uh, anyone who opted to pay their local property tax by an annual direct debit. This is the week. And actually, I was doing some banking online last night and I noticed because it's one of those things because it happens once a year you have a tendency to forget about it so Stephen is right if you're very tight on your margins in your bank account and that you know exactly how much is there to pay what bills you need to be aware if you are paying by direct debit this is the week that the money will be taken out and of course the rules for the local property tax changed for the first time since it was introduced and property tax came in in 2013. But this was the year where all of us as homeowners were required to do a new valuation on our uh, properties. And we were all, of course, asked, this was back last, in the lead up to last November, you were asked to determine what was the market value of your home as of the 1st of November uh, last. So the majority of people filled in the form, did it either online or sent it off. But it seems more than 300,000 property owners didn't file a local property tax uh, return 
ahead of that deadline back in November. And I know they changed the the deadline got extended last year. They they pushed it out because they reckoned that there was an amount of confusion by uh, uh, people. Um, and I still think that because when I saw that that figure was, I think it's 316,000 property owners. These are people that have been paying property tax, but they just didn't file the return when the envelope came through the door. And I think it caused confusion because I remember every time we did information interviews about how people went about revaluing their homes, we inevitably got a flurry of calls in from people saying, oh, I got that letter from the local property tax. I put it away because I've been getting it every year since 2013 to say that it's due. Oh, I pay by direct debit, so I don't need to worry about it. And a lot of people didn't even bother opening up the letter. They just saw that it was coming from the local property tax. So I think there's still a bit of confusion out there. And now even Revenue themselves are saying that this is a higher than expected non-compliance for the local property uh, tax. And of course, they need to get an updated valuation on their properties. And what's happening now is if people didn't give in a new valuation, it means that people's local property tax is based on an estimate value, which was put together by statisticians within the revenue. But the fear is that the valuation may not reflect the true value of the property because the value will be based on the average in the area where your house is. Now, your house could have had major improvements. It could be very different than the average house in the area. So it does mean that your property tax could be estimated too low. Could also mean, of course, that your property tax is estimated at uh, too uh, high. And some of those who haven't given an updated valuation, what it now means is they'll continue to pay, particularly those who've opted to pay by direct debit, but they'll pay the local property tax based on the valuation of the house back in uh, 2013. Now, the rate was lowered this year and the valuation bans were widened. So it means that not everyone was paying more tax despite the fact that your house had gone up in value. I think for the majority of people, I know certainly when I filled uh, mine in and my house would have gone up in value since 2013, but the actual amount I'm paying in property tax hasn't gone up and that seemed to be the same for the majority of uh, people. So revenue officials are anxious to have this very accurate picture of home values to ensure that people are not underpaying. Or dare I say, you don't want they don't want people overpaying either. And we all know that revenue, aka the taxman, they have very strong powers available to them for people who opt not to cooperate with filing or paying their tax. Now for the local property tax it includes things like they can impose interest charges of up to eight percent a year on any amounts that's owed. The application of penalties in certain circumstances and they can refer the debt on to the sheriff they can go to a debt collector for a collection and they can refer it on to a solicitor. Now Revenue said it is very conscious that homeowners are only recently emerging from all of the restrictions that were imposed because of COVID-19 and they accept that there has there is a significant cohort of people who've suffered in a number of ways including financially because of the pandemic and for that reason it continues the Revenue continued to suspend most of its sheriff enforcement activity and it's going to continue
continue to review its approach and keep property owners updated on this. But I, I reckon when Revenue do decide to dig a little bit de- deeper into the over 300,000 property owners who haven't filed. And as I say, these are ones who are paying property tax. I will find in them that they will find there will be a cohort of those people who just got a little bit confused about it all. The letters arrived. They just thought it was the letter that they'd been getting every year since 2013, put it aside and paid their property tax, not re- not realising that they were expected to file uh, a return. But just to let people know, as I say, the initial WhatsApp came in from Stephen in Mayfield, just to let people know that this is the week. If you opted, this is only for the people that opted to pay by direct debit. People that say go into the post office, I know a number of people will go in and actually pay in the post office. That would have been done late last year I think around usually November into December and then other people I know pay monthly but there are a large cohort of people who pay by the annual direct debit so it's going out from your accounts this week another bill says you 0818103103 Bernie taking your calls you can text or you can WhatsApp to 0862 103103. Don't forget tomorrow, big, big day on behalf of the Irish Cancer Society and I really do hope that the sun shines all day long tomorrow, particularly for the people that will be out and about collecting for the National Daffodil Day and it is the first Daffodil Day back out on the streets in three years and we here at C103 very proud to be supporting the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day tomorrow, Friday 25th of March. Daffodils are available and will be available on the streets from volunteers. I'm already seeing them inside in shops. When you go into shops, I was in a garage this morning getting my diesel and there they were up on the uh, counter. So please support Daffodil uh, Day and you can also take part or you can donate by going online to cancer.ie and of course all the funds raised tomorrow they help fund free cancer support services and as we spoke about yesterday they also help to support life changing cancer research and none of us know when we will need that cancer research going into the future so best of luck if you're part of a local committee getting involved heading out for Daffodil Day at tomorrow on NCT centres and the wearing of masks and the non-wearing of masks. A listener uh, says, Patricia, they're not wearing masks at the NCT centre. I was getting my NCT done yesterday and they didn't have masks on yet. We got that clarified yesterday because the mask mandate has been removed nationwide. The workers don't have to wear masks. But by the way, the gentleman that kicked that off, who is very has an NCT due on Saturday, and because he's a family carer with a very vulnerable person at home and is terrified of picking up COVID. He, we asked him, could we pass on his number to the good people at NCT because they said that they'd put an arrangement in place for him just to try to allay his fears and just to say that he, he, we sorted that out yesterday and the gentleman in question got on to us and it's all been sorted and he's going to get looked after when he goes to have his NCT on Saturday and he's feeling a lot happier about going at now. So thanks to everybody at NCT who sorted that out for us. Bernie's taking your calls at 0818 Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. 
Postmasters are to hold an emergency meeting to consider a ballot on industrial action which would include withdrawing support for changes to postal money orders and foreign exchange services. To discuss why morale is so low, I'm joined by Paddy O'Shea of Upper Ahada Post Office and Paddy is also the Cork spokesperson for the Irish Postmasters Union. Good morning to you Paddy. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the po- to the programme. Now Postmasters and indeed all of your staff, you did enormous work during the pandemic. Are you now feeling that you're not being listened to by on post? Yes, we are totally frustrated. We went through uh, the COVID, the two years of it, and I think there was two or three postmasters out. All of us did our full hours for the two years, and we definitely for whatever about getting money, we we just didn't get any bit of praise or anything like that, you know. And uh, this coming up now, what we're looking for now, uh, is t- totally upsetting us. Are, uh, there, are there still ongoing problems with the new contracts that were signed back in 2018? We still have problems with that because we... Uh, 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 frustration at the payment issues that we did in, in that and what we were told we'd have, we'd have a lot of new training, we'd have a lot of new work, etc. And none of that came to none of that came to light. We also had, uh, but the biggest problem now, I suppose, we were other ones. The biggest problem now, and why we were having the meeting uh, on Monday night, is that uh, changes to the money, uh, personal money order, and farm exchange service. And that uh, we do a lot of those. We do enough that uh, particularly the postal money orders. Just give you an example. People who come in now, a lot of people I have, uh, yesterday I had two or three people, elderly people, who come in paying for their oil and that kind of stuff. Yeah. They pay for 100 euro or 200 euro. And they get a postal order they for They get it. a money order, which I yeah. make out for them. Yeah. Now, I was there yesterday and I had to ask the, the elderly woman in front of me, her name and address, I was, I was typing it down, date of birth and post and postcode. And uh, she didn't want to tell me her uh, date of birth, oh, which is thing because there was three or four behind her. I know, I know. And and, uh, uh, and the postcode, she didn't have it. And I told her, and she said, will you put down anything? And I said, I can't. I must get your postcode. And name and address. And I, I, I said, look, give it to me. And I, she... Well, I, she said, will you do it for me? I, I can't do it for you because I don't for your postcode. So anyway, she had to go embarrassed. And I had to retrieve them yesterday, which was highly embarrassing. Now, OK, and just explain to people why this is all happening. This well, is, it's what, it's what, money laundering, isn't it? It is money laundering, yeah. OK, and, and we accept money laundering goes on. But like some little old dear, Paddy, coming into your post office to get a hundred euro postal order to pay for the oil are, would it be the same if I came in and I wanted to send a tenner to my niece or my nephew somewhere and I wanted to send off a postal order would I have to it would be yeah so for, no matter what sum of money I'm buying now, a postal order I have like, to give well, all that information know, when, we, when we were talking to the company basically we said fine even if there's a hundred and ten euro something that we, you know would be a, a small little bit out of the ordinary 
Uh, yes, you know, a but I mean, you say a hundred euro under the are all small little bits that's done by ordinary people who don't have an awful lot of money. But you see, that woman now yesterday, I said, go away and uh, and uh, do that for me. And I, I made it out in the north. I said, I want that. Bring it back to me. And her son came back in the afternoon who gave out to me and I had to explain everything to him oh, again. God. And anyway, we did it. But he said, what I'll do in future, we'll send it by post to the, the, the oil company. So we, we're losing. We're yeah, losing yeah, by yeah, all that, yeah. you know. And you know, what, what I would fear more, uh, Paddy, people will start sending cash in the post, which we're always telling people, postal service is brilliant, but don't be sending cash in the post. That's right. No doubt about it. And yeah. that's, that's what will happen. And obviously the knock-on from that is if people stop doing the postal orders, and post end up losing money for of it. Of course, and we lose money because, as you know, we're paid on transactions. Yeah. Yeah, but as well as that, I found that now when, when the COVID was on and people didn't come out and the sons and daughters came and uh, eventually they, they said to the ma'am, sure, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be easier to draw it in the bank? Know, and they did, I, you know, I know, I know. and Listen. we dropped the fair bit. Yeah, and we're uh, trying to get people to we're trying to get the people to use the post office. There's no doubt, but we need to make it as easy as possible uh, for people. But I, but I'm glad that you're clarifying just as a word of warning to people who will be going in to get a, a postal order. Are and is it the same if I want to say I want to come in and I want to get fifty pounds sterling? Will it yeah, be the same? same for that? Yeah. So the I'll same. have to give you my name and address, yeah. my, my date of birth, yeah, and uh, your address. But I mean, there was a woman came in now again. I suppose, I suppose, two weeks ago, and uh, she she's an English woman, and she goes over to, to London now and then to her family. And she said to me, uh, which was three hundred, and I said to her for the first time, I said, date, birth, I called them out, out. Are you trying to cod me? So I said, no, this is the new thing. Do you have to do it? I do. And she said, I'll go to the bank. Ah, oh, but would, know, would she have to do it at the bank as well, though? Which I said that to her. I said, you, you, you paid her the bank as well, because we can't do it. But you, you are my post office, where I come from, my, my little bits, she said. But I said, I just cannot do it for you, ma'am. So these are the things that we're having our meeting. On. Uh, okay, did Unpost um, engage with you in any way about well, those? Well, they did. We had a, we had a, we talked with Unpost for a bit, but eventually, before the talks were finished, they went ahead, sent us on our, our stuff, and uh, put it, uh, it had to be done. Like uh, you know, usually if you if 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 you have talks with the company about things, you you you. You know, you keep talking until you sort it out. But they just went ahead and did it. Do you uh, get paid any extra for the extra work you have to do now? Well, uh, we're talking about that now, but it won't be huge anyway, you know. You'll get, um, I don't think you will get anything because you're doing the same job. Like someone came in three months ago for, uh, for the post money order for 100 euro. They're coming tomorrow for, uh, for the same, to be the same money, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, and I can understand. Is the, is the people coming for years? Yeah, yeah. And they're walking for the, it isn't a big deal. It's, it's to anyone, it's a small business, but people with small money, it's a big deal. 
Yeah, and listen, I know we have to stop money laundering and all of that, yeah. but it's unfortunate that the majority of people now are going to get caught up with this and having to, uh, all these forms have to be filled in. I don't quite understand why they need your date of birth, though. I can yeah, understand I the name, I... address and the postcode. Because yes, then they, could, they can trace it back. If, you know, if I'm constantly going in with lots and lots and lots of money, that the red flag might be raised. Maybe I am money laundering. Yeah, but yeah, why, I why, see that, yeah. why would my date of birth make a difference? Yeah, I can't understand it. But they insist on it. They're saying it's from the uh, uh, from the central bank, you know. Yeah, well, they make the, they make the decisions. Yeah. yeah, they do. But for us, you see, what I find, find if someone came in for a thousand euro, at a thousand worth of uh, uh, money order, I'd say something. But it's a small money. People yeah. who are. You, you know, paying a hundred euro, and how she said to me the other day, there's a hundred and fifty now to our dear. We'll have to do it soon, you know. Yeah, and you know, you know these people. Oh, I know very well. You know that none of them are money laundering. They're coming in, and I know they're. I know, I know their sons and daughters now, you know, which everyone does. We know, we know them all, and they trust us. So, but are are you? Are you another thing I find that people don't understand. I'm sitting inside, and next thing I'm talking to her. And if if we're busy, usually at school time here, with the school very close to us, we just stay there, there, and next thing, three or four build up behind her. Yeah. Then she gets very upset altogether, you know? Yeah, and obviously if you've got all that additional work, it is yeah. going, the queue is going to, on a busy day, there'll be on more. On a busy day, yeah. and I was there myself yesterday now, and nobody with me, it was busy. Yeah. And I mean, you, you must ask all that, which is terrible. And as you say, what do you want a date of birth for? Yeah, yeah. And us, like, us ladies are a bit, we don't like to be shouting our date of birth out to everybody. Yes, yeah, which is fair enough. I don't say anything. Okay, but, you're, you're having a meeting next Monday and, you, and you're saying it may go as far as in industrial action. Well, we, we, we're asking them, we're, we're asking them now for their view. We'll, we, we'll give the, uh, all, all postmasters um, in Ireland now We'll be with, and to be on Zoom. Okay, that's how, so that's how it's been, how it's and, been done. And uh, we'll ask them, we'll put it down to them. All we can do on the executive is do what we're doing now and, uh, and put it in front of the members. We're down now to, we've about 600 members at the moment. So they'll be in on Monday night. We're starting at seven, half, half seven. She'll run on for a few hours. And... Uh, Everything, but that's the biggest thing now at the moment. Otherwise, obviously, you know, there are a few things we didn't get paid from things or other, but they'd be ongoing stuff. Mm. I think this is the biggest thing. Are we continuing to see closure of some post offices? Oh, yeah, we decided now. We'd won, we had in the city, we had about in the past two years, we had about six or seven. It's yeah, great sadness to see a post office go, isn't it? Oh, it's just terrible to see it. Terrible yeah. to see it down, terrible. Yeah. All right, listen, we'll keep a close eye and see how your meeting goes uh, next week, uh, Paddy. But thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me Good on. Good morning. Bye-bye. Paddy bye, bye, O'Shea bye. there, postmaster at Upper Ahada Post Office. And just for people going in to get a postal order or to do some foreign exchange and Paddy and the rest, wherever your post office is, there's no point having a go at Paddy and the staff. This is, these, these are the new rules that are in. So if you even want to send a fiver postal order, you want to send it on to your grandchild.
you're going to have to give your name address you need to have your postcode which I have to say I don't know off by heart I do have it in my mobile phone I have it under a phone contact in my mobile phone I got a tip on that when post when the postcodes first came out and I have to if you asked me for my postcode I'd have to pick up my phone to give it to you but you're, they're also requiring you to give your date of birth and no point having a go at the staff in the post office and I imagine it's the same at credit unions I imagine it's the same at the banks it's all to do with money laundering 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Record today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 103 And just on our piece there with the post offices if you want to get a postal order even for a fiver you've got to give your name your address postcode and your date of birth or if you're getting any kind of foreign exchange if you're going away on holidays or you just want to buy some sterling or dollars maybe to send on to a loved one um, you've got to give all of that information Joan Kilmalik says does the post office then pass on all of the details of their customers transactions to revenue at the end of the year if they're looking for your name address date of birth and postcode just to pay for a fill of oil are they passing all that information on to revenue no I don't think revenue is involved it's the Paddy said it's the central bank it's to do with money laundering so it's this I'm assuming all the information goes on to the central bank and then if they see regular activity somebody in and out of a post office with the same name address date of birth postcode it raises alarm bells and then they investigate to see if it is money laundering I'm assuming that that's what happens don't know if revenue is involved certainly not at the early stage because it is coming from the central bank thanks for your call Joe to 0818103103 now with more and more people slowly trying to get back to normal following the last two years a night out is such a wonderful thing to look forward to so if you fancy a night of comedy music and stories then the Glen Theatre and Band here is the place to be this Saturday night when John Kenny will take to the stage and I'm delighted to say John joins me good morning to you John Hi Patricia how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing very well always a pleasure to have you on, on the programme yeah. now this show Thanks is entitled me. A Night of Comedy but it's more than you just doing stand up just describe the show to us Well listen I don't know what I'm doing well I do know what I'm doing but I suppose <laughs> um, it's kind of I'm in the process of working on another project at the moment, which is sort of memoirs, just writing down absolutely everything, not sketches, but true life, or things that happened and things I've been through. So it sort of came out of that because I'm in transition. I'm working on a new play at the moment called The Brothers, which I'm writing and cooperating, putting together with a woman in London, Irish writer in London, which is good, nice. So in between, I started working on this um, project for myself. And I decided, well, look, I'll put some of it together and put it on stage. While, because I hadn't done comedy in a long time. Mm. And I just felt, look, it's years and years since I've done any bit of stand-up there on my own and do whatever. And I said, sure, maybe now is a good time after coming out of all this. And I have all this other stuff on my head anyway, because I've been able to reclaim it, I suppose. It's, I'm just amazed the amount of stuff that's, that's coming back to me that I'd actually forgotten about. So, so. Do, do I take it you loosely in your mind have a script? Oh, God, there's, yeah, yeah. The story is about everything from the beginning to um, you know, different different parts of me, things that happened to me. You know, from 
going to Russia years ago with the band, stuff I've never spoken about on stage, and how we found ourselves in London and working in clubs in the north of England when I was at a band called Gimmick years ago, which was a lifetime ago. Fooling friends, joining a ballet company, all that stuff, crazy bits and pieces I did in my life. Yeah, you've done a lot. You've, you've done a lot. I mean, that band Gimmick, that yeah. was the late 70s, I think 76 yeah, to 81. Mid-70s. Mid-70s. Yeah, yeah, but right up. Yeah, so and it was like glam rock? Is it that, was, yeah, yeah, it was. We didn't really, I did, we, we don't know what we were doing, Patricia, I'm not really sure, you know. We were just out on the road, you know, travelling, doing gigs, and, you know, we got signed, we got a, we got some EMI signed us in England, and uh, we ended up recording Abbey Road, and, and we didn't even know what was going on at the time. Because you were very, we were I mean, you were, you were, t- I think, were you 18 when you, when you would have started in that band? Before, before, before that. Before, teenagers, okay. Yeah, and we used to go down to Mill Street. Yeah. Play relief to the show bands on a Thursday night. Dominic McSweeney used to run that venue. Yeah. And we would travel down on the bus because we couldn't drive, we were all kids. So we'd bring our guitars and the snare drum and ourselves and we'd travel to, on the bus to, Mc, to Mc, uh, Mill, Mill Street. Mill Street. And a bus to McCroom. We did relief in Croom. We did relief in the Arcadia and Cork. Um, travelling on a bus and coming back on a bus with the punters and then going to school the following day. Oh. <laughs> so, but, Sunday but, night but, was but, in Newcastle West in the Olympic. And uh, yeah, should we, that was the crack, you know. But you did big, did I read that you did support to the Bay City Rollers and, and to Mud, who would have been huge in those days? Yeah, well, kind of, Bud took us under their wing, really, and helped us a lot. We did a lot of support to them in, in, in England at the time. And they wrote... Um, our first single, Laugh, Live and Love. And uh, so they kind of, they were they were great buddies of ours. They were really looked after us, you know. And uh, yeah, it was exciting. Like, we did support the Fuzzy Quattro and Sweet. Mm. And they were all big acts. Big, they were big, big yeah, yeah. They yeah. were big, yeah. Shaq was great. Like, uh, that's, the whole thing was a bit of a whirlwind fantasy, I suppose, for a bunch of lads, young fellas from South East Limerick. Like, and we found ourselves out in Abbey Road and tooting and places recording and you know doing stuff. It was a, it was a journey. We didn't make any money out of it, but sure, that's show business. Yeah, tell me about <laughs> the night. Tell me about the night you ended up in a strip playing in a strip club. Oh, that was uh, that was amazing thing altogether because we didn't give, we wasn't a strip club. It was a working men's club. Okay, but nothing. And I never forget we arrived in and uh, you know all transit van and all excited about doing a gig. It was a gig. And we were we were on after the bingo, you know. We had the bingo, and then we had the bingo, and the lady that ran the club, she turned around and she said to us, "No, boys, until you know." She said, well, "You know, no, you're going to have to share the dressing room with the strippers." And when we thought we died, got to Fifteen years of age, for God's sake. And when were the strippers? They were coming on after you, was it? Gosh, they were, yeah, they were. Yeah. She had bingo, you had strippers, you had all. By God's sake, you'd ever you'd probably a calf raffle as well for a calf and a bag of coal or something, you know. She went and went, you know. It was a night out. <laughs> and then going to Russia. Now, what, yeah. what, are, we, are we talking what the Iron Curtain was? Yeah, was... yeah, the old days. And I remember I got hauled in. I don't know why. And remember this very stern, strong woman looking at me across the table, grey uniform. We landed in Hulla in East Germany, 
it wasn't far from Dresden, I think. And we were doing television shows because an agency we had in London looked after another band and they had got into the charts. And the deal was that this agency sent acts out to Eastern Europe. You know, it was very controlled, so they got some sense of what was going on, you know, but the band that we, the band didn't go because the band's name was Dollar. <laughs> there was Ben called Dollar. So for fear of broken the, you know, the whole communist regime, Dollar would have accepted and just put, we were next, with said, gee, you're a bunch of young lads, they like you, you know, from Ireland. And your name and is Gimmick, so I won't call you not gimmick and, yeah. and you're not you're not drinking, you're not smoking, you can't corrupt anyone. So off we went. And I think we got paid in wheelbarrows. We never got anyone into <laughs> that either. <laughs> I tracked that down years later. I remember trying to figure out just for the fun of it, was there any ever money ex- exchange for that? And simply I found that it was a container load of wheelbarrows. Russian, East German wheelbarrows made their way to Ireland someplace, which I don't know where they ended up. And that was your payment? Yeah. I'd love to know who negotiated. Who negotiated that deal? I don't think there was any negotiating. Uh, <laughs> it was a case of like, you know, this was the currency at the time. It wasn't hard dollars or anything. Mag says, love John Kenny. I saw him way back when he played with Gimmick. Very talented man. I love when he sings Spansel Hill. He almost sounds Jamaican when he's singing that song. <coughs> tell him Mags That's, in passage says, hello. Well, I tell the story too of how that happened to me in the show because I was actually in Monkstown in Kyoto in Ireland and there's a theatre at the back and I was doing a show there with Theatre Omnibus, a dance company for Dublin Theatre Festival. And we went into the bar afterwards for a drink after the show. We were there for a week. And somebody asked me, would I sing a song? And because I was in Kyoto and I hear I said, well, sure, I sing Spencer Hill, but I put a twist on it. And I sang the reggae version, which they duly barred me from the establishment. Oh. From. Singing it like that, desecrating it. And, but they couldn't really bar me because I was booked in to do the play in the, in the theatre anyway, for the whole week. But anyway, so once I, I was barred from singing it, I knew someday I was going to record it because it was going to be successful. Because anything somebody tells you not to do, you can be sure it has something special about it. Yeah. And I did it and I recorded it and it kind of got into the charts and all for me and it kind of kick-started me kind of solo career, you know. Well done. So, yeah. so the, w- w- will you do? Will you sing Spansel Hill in Bantir? There's a chance of it. It'll come out of me. Okay, all right. Uh, with a few more old tunes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll see what'll happen, you know. So. Hey, Camille, how has the how has the pandemic? How's the last two years been for you? Uh, it was okay, but it was tough, Patricia, because I I lost my brother during it, oh. and he was and he was in London, and believe me, that was the early stages of it, and it was chaotic over there. And I was kind of going over and back every week to him, and I suppose if I have any memory of the lockdown, that's it, because. He never got treated for his cancer. The whole place was in chaos, upheaval, fear. You could it was tangible in the hospitals. You could feel it. I know because I was in and out. So um, That's it, was tough. it was okay for the first while. I suppose we got over that. That was Tom died um, uh, the first lockdown, and uh, we got him. He came home to Ireland. We took him out of the hospital in England and brought him back on a Ryanair flight because all he wanted to do was to come home. And uh, so we got him home, and he lasted 24 hours, but he got home, and then he passed away. 
and they so were... it was quite it was amazing because I suppose it showed a huge strength of character that I that I observed that it just was overpowering, you know. And probably uplifting as well. And uh, a lot of people went through a lot of hard times. And then a co- you know, and then a COVID funeral as well, I suppose, was it? Yeah, and yeah. for other people too, whose parents and people were sick or elderly and they couldn't see them. My God, it was horrific when you think about it. Yeah, it was dreadful. It's, we, it, you know, we we can have very short memories, and you know, it was it was it was. I'm glad. Thanks for the God, we have a handle on it now, and you know, our health services are to cope, cope are trying to cope through vaccination and looking after people, and we might be able to we. Hopefully we're on top of it. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I think it's something that we're just going to have to live with for another while because it's going to be around. It? Yeah, that's it. That's it. So people people have a chance now to have a yeah, night of distraction. Yeah. Distraction yeah. on Saturday night and tickets yeah, are available. Yeah, we're jumping on top of one another now or anything like that. You know, okay. Don't, don't <laughs> And it's the it's the Glen, the Glen Theatre and Band here. Oh, the Glen, the Glen. And, and you love you love you like you love the Glen, don't you? Well, look at the eyes open the doors that place. it's like so many venues like that around the country and doing another one as well that weekend a new one down in Glenmire and Cork and these are communities people getting together setting up venues the Inkwell is another one I mean that you could name out these lovely venues that are basically people with passion running and want to have something happening in their community you know yeah and they're so and, important I mean, that we support them and for me as well uh, Patricia because it's not all Listen, it's been a pleasure as always uh, to talk to you. Look after yourself, uh, John, yeah, uh, and we will speak again. And thanks yeah. a million for joining us. And enjoy no, Saturday. And enjoy it. it. That's what I'm it's about. Looking forward to it, believe me. I'm going to have a ball. Thanks a million. God bless. <laughs> will. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, the lovely John uh, Kenny for one night only Glen Theatre in Mantir this Saturday. You. Some of your thoughts coming into us. Uh, still getting commentary in on that post office uh, issue that Paddy O'Shea, the postmaster from Upper Ahada, was explaining to us. Anybody going to get a postal order? postal money order or anybody going to get foreign exchange inside in a post office and we're assuming it's right across the board all financial institutions banks credit unions wherever you're going to get it because of money laundering and new rules introduced to stop money laundering by the central bank you now have to give your name your address with your postcode and you have to give your date of birth as well which is causing problems for some people who don't like everybody particularly if it's a small post office and there's a queue behind everyone doesn't want to shout out what their date of birth is I suppose you could write it down you could write it down and do it discreetly as well but just people are saying it seems a bit bizarre looking for all of that information particularly as Paddy was pointing out the local people that come in to him and you know somebody he suggested coming in to pay the 100 euro for her oil and she'll be back in again in another few weeks probably paying 150 euro with the way the price of home heating oil is going going up and she she knows the woman well but he has no other choice these are the rules that are in place and obviously he has to abide by them Ed is making a good point says, Morning Patricia, what's stopping you giving a fake date of birth and a fake air code? The post office worker won't know the difference. All a bit silly if you ask me, says Ed. Yeah, And if you think about it, the people who are doing the money laundering, they'll just come up with another way around it for sure. And that's probably one of the things they'll do is to give a fake 
date of birth and fake uh, air quote. Uh, Catherine then picking me up, I take it, on the fact when I said that I don't know my postcode off by heart, that's the reason that I have it in my mobile phone. I have it under a phone contact so that if I am anywhere and somebody says, what's your air code? I can just grab my phone and say what my air code is. Catherine says, everyone should have their PPS number, postcode and phone number in their computer brain. It's not a big thing to learn, really, says Catherine. I suppose you're very right. I know my phone number. Don't know my P- my PPS number off my heart. Again, I'd have to reach to something I'd have with me to find out. I'd have a P- my PPS number on a card somewhere in my wallet. Uh, and I certainly don't. I tried to learn the postcode at the start. And I suppose it's the fact that I don't use it that often. It's probably one of the reasons that I don't know it off by heart. I know Hoppy, had, my, my husband, he knows our postcode off by heart, but he doesn't. He certainly doesn't know his, his PPS number. And I certainly at one stage was must was much better with phone numbers but I think that was at the time when we used phone numbers a lot when you physically had to dial out a number but because now all of our phone numbers are stored on our mobile phones or even on the, the landline at home. I have the, the main numbers that I would ring on a landline. I, I, I know my own number, but I barely know anybody else's number anymore. I think we've lost that skill. But you are right, Catherine, we should be all storing it in our computer brain. I'll work on that for you, uh, for sure. And then Dennis says, sure, why can't the folk going into the post office simply go online, pay over the phone or even send a cheque to the oil company? Dennis says it seems like the post office is a lost cause for a long time maybe time to stop wasting money on keeping them going on life support and pull the plug says Dennis I completely 100% disagree with you Dennis there are people who can't do things online don't have internet connection are not tech savvy there are, there are other people who don't have cheques don't deal with a bank account where they've got a current account where they've got a, a checkbook and there are people who still in this day and age like to deal in cash and I think the post office is a very important service to have and I would hate to see the day and we're losing so many of them I mean we've lost so many in the last certainly 10-15 years and even to hear Paddy say more and more of them are closing I think the few that are left I, I, I do think we need to hang on to them I think we'd all bemoan it's one of those things that's when it's gone we'll bemoan the fact that it's that it's actually gone and that it's lost uh, to us so I disagree with you but Dennis but you are entitled to your opinion and thank you for it and then Liz was on by text going hi Patricia I am she's absolutely furious she said I am just so furious trying to get a phone consultation with our local doctor I phoned last week to be told that the next available appointment to see my doctor is the 21st of April. Today I phoned as my son needs to speak to a doctor and over the phone telephone consultation as he's been unwell for quite a few days now and by the way it's not COVID they've done the antigen test. Phoned and I can't get a phone consultation until the end of the month. Also it said I could phone the emergency clinic only if it was was an emergency. The emergency clinic is closing at 11 so we're 16th in the queue to try to speak to a doctor. I have to go to work in a hospital every day with COVID patients and yet we've got our GPs saying they won't see their patients. It's a disgrace. Sorry for the rant, but I am so, so furious. 
thanking you, says Elizabeth. Yeah, some people are having huge problems accessing uh, a GP. I mean, I know with my own GP practice, I had to, I made an appointment. It was just for, you know, kind of a checkup kind of a thing. So it wasn't an emergency in that. But if you're, when you're sick, you just don't, and particularly when it's a child, you just, you know, when somebody wakes up and somebody is sick, remember the day when you could literally ring up the doctor and you get an appointment that day to go in and see the doctor. And I go back even further. I remember the time when you could ring a doctor and they do house calls, but they're, that's, that's long since gone. But there was a time when you could ring and get an appointment at the doctor immediately. Now, I know COVID has changed a lot of things and they are doing a lot of tel- telephone consultations. And I've had a number of telephone consultations and absolutely they've worked. They've worked. I've got sorted and I didn't have any problem. And if anything, it was easy for me as well that I didn't act to f- physically have to go to the surgery. But there are cases where you do need to present in person. I mean, for example, the last time I went, I needed to give, you know, I regularly get bloods done. So I needed to have the bloods done. So I had to go in person, but I was able to book that appointment probably a week in advance. I certainly wasn't waiting a month. I mean, Liz is trying to make an appointment and she called during the week for the, which would have been the probably around the 22nd, 23rd of March to be told the next available appointment is the 21st of April. It's obviously an extremely busy GP practice that you are with, uh, Liz. But I do feel for your son, if he has been unwell, he's been battling at home trying to get over whatever it is. I mean, it sounds to me, and if it's not COVID, it's obviously one of these respiratory things that are doing the rounds at the moment. And if it's a respiratory infection, for example, you do need an antibiotic. Then you can battle on and back, battle on, but the, there'll come a stage where you do need to, if you can't physically see the doctor, then at least speak to the doctor. So I do have, absolutely do have uh, sympathies for you, Liz. But it does seem to vary from GP practice to GP practice. And only yesterday, was it, we had a listener who was in a similar situation, couldn't get access to their own doctor. So they decided to ring South Dog that evening when Southstock uh, opened um, to be told there wasn't a doctor available there either and that they were only dealing with emergencies as well. We are getting to crisis stage for sure when it comes to accessing GPs and it's not the GPs fault. We just don't have enough GPs in this country and bearing in mind we're also having a lot of the Ukrainian refugees arriving on our shores and will, will some of them of course some of them are going to need to access a doctor as well. I do, I do think we've got the big big problem with and we've, we've spoken about it. It's not a new problem. I think it's got highlighted with COVID-19 and the pandemic, but we need to urgently start doing something about training GPs and getting more doctors uh, and young students that are going through medical college to get them interested in becoming GPs. It just, I think it's the workload of GPs. I think it's putting people off. We're going to, we certainly are going to have to do something about it. Thank you for your call. Liz, and I hope that your son does get sorted. John, and then on other issues, uh, Eddie and Bandon says we're only months away from the rationing of gas due to the war. The government needs to make provisions now for next winter. We also need to start cutting down on all of our food waste uh, in this uh, country. And I think with the rising cost of inflation, Eddie, we're going to see a lot less food food waste. I think people are going to be very careful about what they're buying because we know everything is going up. People are going to be very slow about suddenly just tossing things into the uh, the trolley. And then, you know, at the end of the week, oh, I didn't use it. I'll toss it into the bin. I think that, that, that certainly is going to happen. And we could see and we'll see fuel rationing. It won't just be gas. We'll be seeing it at the forecourt pumps 
camps as well. But that's only if the war in Ukraine continues. I mean, we all have to hope and pray that peace comes to Ukraine, not just for our sakes, firstly, first and foremost, for the sakes of the Ukraine uh, people. But then the knock on from it is the world economy has been affected and there's going to be disruption right across the world if this war continues. So it's all the more reason that we need to see an end uh, of it. But you are right, the, the fuel rationing uh, certainly will be on the cards. And John in Kenturk then says on the price of oil, anyone at the moment who's buying home heating oil, are the prices are still high for your diesel and your uh, petrol. John said that, now I've, I'd have to look into this, I don't know if I've much, if I've memory of this or not, but John said they were drilling for oil off the West Cork coast. He says it was a number of years ago. Now he reckons at the time they found enough oil which would have kept this country, Ireland, going for at least 30 years. But he says the Greens at the time wouldn't let them use it. How could that be right? If we have oil off the West Cork coast, do we need to start looking at that now, particularly if we are getting to the stage where there will be rationing? And then can anybody offer advice to Dennis in Cork City? He is about to get his free bus pass. He's come of age for the free bus pass. Congratulations, uh, Dennis. But he needs to get a public services card in order to access his free bus pass. He's been phoning the office in Hanover Street. He's been on hold for an hour and he's not able to get through. Has anybody else had similar problems? What I would suggest to you, because I take it you've given up trying to get through to Hanover Street, Dennis, I would ring somebody like your local citizens information centre in the city. They are fantastic at either helping you to access the public services card or they'll know, they might know a way around that you'll be able to uh, do it. But has anybody else had difficulty accessing a public services card? I mean, we did have the dilemma of the, the, the mother who was trying to get a public services card for her daughter who was about to apply for a passport and then would be going on then to apply for a driver's licence and went went to look into the public services card. She either needed a passport or a driver's licence by way of identification, even though we worked around that. Her birth cert did instead, but but she didn't seem to be having any problem getting the public services card. But Dennis is actually having problems getting through to try to get his. Again, that's one of those issues. They're trying to get everybody to do it online. And I don't know, Dennis, if you're able to access online or not. And I mentioned Daffodil Day is tomorrow and we're encouraging everybody to please support the Irish Cancer Society. Well, Anne Murphy in Lislevan in West Cork was on to say, Patricia, could you mention that the Daffodil Day collection will be all day tomorrow at Eurospar Barry Row Co-op. All donations greatly received for what is a great cause. The Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day. C103 Jobs. With Munster Technological University, enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time, part time, and professional courses. Succeeding together with MTU.ie. Hotel receptionist is wanted. You need to have one to two years' experience, and it's required for Mallow Town. Email Tracy at info at hibernianhotelmallow.com. Stock control slash buyer is wanted for an engineer supplier that's also in the Mallow area. Email CVs to carry.murphy at osborne.ie. The West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen, they're looking for front office supervisor and a night manager. CVs to accounts at 
westcorkhotel.ie and a security te- technician is wanted for gate automation and CCTV systems in Cork City and County. Email CVs to accounts at cronenelectrical.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Cork South Westall Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan, while praising a local community for pulling together to fundraise to cover the cost of a special needs assistant, feels that schools should not have to come up with the cost to cover SNAs. And Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan joins me. Good morning to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome. Now, this is called Breed in Ballydehab. Tell me what the local community have been doing there. Yeah, so so the local um, community, um, because of the fact that uh, several appeals, uh, about two uh, appeals for um, extra SNA allocation, extra special needs allocation in the school um, to cater for the six children uh, with additional needs there who were spread out over three different classes, because um, on two separate occasions now their appeal has been turned down, um, the family, um, the family of Emily Vaughan, who's a, a 10-year-old girl who attends school breed, um, and she has non-verbal autism, uh, that family have taken it upon themselves with the local community and with the help of um, a very uh, well-known local community man called Barry O'Brien, they've taken it upon themselves. They, they organised a tractor run, which took place uh, last Friday. It was a tractor, tractor run, stroke vintage run. They had over 136 entries. Um, over the course of the day, they managed to raise €6,500. 1,000 of that will go to the um, fantastic air ambulance service, which you know I know you've covered a lot on your show, Patricia. But the rest of the funding will go to the provision um, of extra SNA hours at uh, the uh, local national school. So that's that's what the, the family have taken upon themselves to do. Um, but I'm firmly of the belief that, you know, in 2022, um, in this day and age, families um, of children who have additional needs and who it is a very basic right uh, to an education. Uh, it is a very basic right to have the proper supports in place um, if they do have additional needs, that they shouldn't have to be relying on the excellent community down Baldy Harbour, the excellent uh, community in West Cork, to fundraise um, for extra SNA allocation. That's what they've had to do. Um, it's not right. It's not good enough. And unfortunately, this situation, um, and particularly in West Cork and, and particularly in and around the Skibbereen area, Patricia, it's something that's raising its head uh, time and time again. And, you know, it, it, as, a, as a TD for the area, and yes, um, I'm a TD in a government party, um, but I do feel um, that it's important and it is my role to highlight this uh, and try and ensure things change. Have you heard of other families or other schools doing similar fundraising for SNAs? Well, I've heard of other schools where the parents of a child with um, additional needs has offered to, out of their own money and out of their own pocket, fund um, extra SNA allocation. And I'll give you a few examples because I think it's important that people, you know, we talk about SNAs and we're we're using um, different terminologies. I think it's important people understand the reality on the ground for children, in particular in primary school, with additional needs and the difficulties that they face. So I'll just give you a few examples because I mentioned that in and around Skibreen, there seems to be a, a, a particular issue in relation to lack of SNA allocation. Drini National School, it's a national school actually formerly attended by my father near near, near Borra Villa, near Skibreen, that has 
it's a two te- two teacher class two teacher school um it has four children uh, with high needs two are in the junior class two are in the senior class and their allocation is 0.5 uh, of an SNA 0.5 spread out over two two uh, different classrooms and covering four children with additional needs. In that situation, one of the parents of the children has, uh, is actually offering themselves out of their own pocket to fund um, an SNA. That's not good enough. Another really good example, because it kind of, this one gives, uh, I think, a really good, it highlights what's actually happening in classrooms. In Cora National School, Cora has 1.83 of an SNA allocation. Um, they have uh, a child with Down syndrome, they have a, a child with severe autism, and they have a child with spina bifida um, who is uh, very much non-mobile. In that situation, the 1.83 of an SNA, essentially they may have, might have two SNAs. The child with spina bifida in that situation, because they're non-mobile, when uh, they have to use the toilet or do anything that requires um, you know, that type of care. Any personal it, it, needs, yeah. Exactly. It takes the two SNAs, um, probably two hours dedicated a day to that child to bring them to the toilet and, and uh, facilitate their needs. When that happens, then it, it, it may actually be the teacher who also assists in that situation. So there's no one there to ensure that one of the other children who is a flight risk is being monitored, is being looked after, is being cared for. Yet they as well have had to constantly battle for any bit of an extra SNA allocation. So this this battle, Patricia, is happening right um, across West Cork, right across Cork, where parents, um, guardians, uh, principals of schools, teachers in schools are having to fight tooth and nail for extra SNA allocations. And we saw recently, and I know you covered on your show, where um, in Kilbritton National School, the early intervention preschool classroom there, which is a proven success in terms of its outcomes, proven that this early intervention was leading to better outcomes for children um, with disabilities, where it took the intervention of uh, uh, myself, of my other uh, West Cork colleagues in Holly Cairns and Michael Collins, to raise this issue in the dial, to, to bring it up on the dial floor and finally get an intervention. Without, I mean, that that particular issue with Kilbritton was simply a disgrace. I mean, it was just, there was no rhyme or reason as to why they were going to close that early intervention. There was no rhyme or reason and there was no reason why the NCSC would have um, corresponded with the school to say that they were going to close the unit only for, you know, there to be uproar, for for the political um, representatives in the area to... Uh, bring it up on the dial in this situation and for an intervention to happen and in the meantime while that intervention has happened and the, and the unit will remain open the fear um, and the anger and frustration that that caused among the community among parents was completely unnecessary um, and, and you know we, in this day and age we should be doing everything um, we can to ensure that these children deserve get the, the services. Yeah, and to support the, the families. I mean, the anxiety that that caused. I remember speaking with one of the mothers whose little fellow was due to start in September and suddenly, the, you know, the rug was being pulled out from under her. And it broke my heart listening to her because I was thinking, this woman is battling every day for her child anyway without suddenly you think you have a place and then suddenly it was removed. Now luckily that has been has been reversed. Go back though to the SNAs. Am I missing something here? Are SNAs not allocated on a needs basis? If a child has a special need and needs to go to school, I mean the spina bifida uh, child that you, you, spe- you, 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 you spoke about, I mean to me that child needs a full time SNA with support then at certain times of the day to access to another SNA. A, a flight risk child with autism needs a full time SNA is it not based on the needs of the child? It, it 
certainly should be based on needs um, and the approach and the model from top-down approach is that it would be based on needs. And that's why, in fairness to Minister Norma Foley, uh, she battled hard for an extra 18 million allocation uh, and that was secured for the provision of an extra 1,165 SNAs uh, and an extra 1,000 special education teachers. And there are 1,900 SNAs uh, in circulation. So... The, the money is being thrown at the service. The extra SNAs are being put into circulation, but this isn't reflecting in SNA allocation on the ground, particularly in West Cork. When, um, you know, if you read the really emotional, heartfelt letter of appeal that was penned by Emily's parents in this situation, um, uh, her mother Hannah, uh, it was it was really set out the basic needs um, that Emily had in terms of not just um, toileting needs, but social interaction, her self-care, and really importantly, and this is something I think that we miss out on, her interaction within her community, because it's it's a proven fact that where these children um, are able to interact and uh, are included in society, are included with their peers, are included with children who may not have additional needs, that the outcomes are far, far better, that they're they're mixing amongst their peers. So... um, you know, it, it, it's it, you know, for Hannah to have to put her heart and soul uh, into this letter, only to be turned down, and then to have to turn around to community and 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 ask for help financially. It's not good enough. So, so I mean, the, the model is that it is done on a needs basis, but. And are you, are you raising this with the Minister for Education? Are you raising that particular case? Absolutely. And there's two ministers in, involved here. I suppose the Senior Minister for Education is Minister Norma Foley, um, who did secure this, uh, these additional SNAs and this additional funding. And then you have Minister of State, Josefa Madigan, who we have um, raised on the dial. And it's not just me, in fairness, my other um, constituency colleagues have, have raised this as well. They, you know, they appreciate that, that, that there's an issue there. But... What we need to see now is that this extra funding and this extra SNA allocation is reflected on the ground. I think the NCSC, um, the National Council for Special Education, have a lot to answer for here. The model is broken. Uh, whether we need extra CNOs on the ground to, uh, to to cater for the workload, I mean, it's a, it, it is impossible for every CNO to have a full understanding of what's happening in Skullbreed, the fact that there's six children there, that they're spread out over three classes, and the um, assessing the needs of each one of those six children with additional needs. But if we need extra resources uh, to, to ensure that they do get a full idea and a full scope of what's happening, then that's what needs to happen, because we cannot, in this day and age, have parents, have guardians, and have children um, entering this constant battle um, for something that is a basic, basic right, and it's something that I'll continue uh, to fight for, and hopefully we'll see improvements in, in okay. over the next while. Okay, well, well done, well done. And before I let you go, congratulations on your recent engagement to uh, Sarah. Have Have you set a date? <laughs> no, we haven't, Patricia. Thanks a lot. And I saw your very, very kind and and heartwarming message uh, on Facebook. No, we haven't said a date yet. Um, I've been told reliably by people who have been in this position before that they need to enjoy uh, this period because yeah. apparently this is the this is the, being engaged is, is the highlight. Uh, it is because no, when you get into planning a wedding, then you'll really know all all of the problems. But I but it got, I was thinking because Sarah is from Wexford, and obviously yeah. you live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world, uh, West Cork. She'll equally say Wexford is beautiful. Have you any discussion? 
discussion where the, where the nuptials would be held? I think I've won that battle. Have you? Well done. I think, yeah, well I mean, done. listen, it's, it's hard to argue when you think of all the um, unbelievable wedding venues we have <laughs> down here in West Cork. But no, I mean, the, the, the word, it, it will be a bit of a battle because you can imagine when you're involved in politics, um, it's very easy to annoy people if they don't get invited. So we'll have to be putting together uh, a wedding list. But listen, we're, okay. we're both over over the moon. Well, congrats, congratulations. And, uh, it's, it's great. Thank you so much, Patricia. I really appreciate listen, that. Uh, thanks for that. And we'll speak again. Thanks for joining okay, us. Bye-bye. Good morning bye-bye. to you. Bye bye. That is uh, West Cork Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy uh, Christopher O'Sullivan. 0818103103. Bernie taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. We're going to Mallow Guard, the station for this week's Guard the Fire. I'm joined by Sergeant uh, Tony Cronin. Good morning to you, Tony. Good morning. And you're, you're welcome. Uh, we start this morning with some burglaries, one in Mallow and in Mitchellstown. That's correct, Patricia. We start with Mallow, and the date of the burglary was the 21st of March, which will be on Monday last. And we're talking the early hours of the morning at approximately 4.30 a.m. in the Collegewood area of Mallow, where a house was entered and keys of the property were taken from inside the house and also for a vehicle outside in the driveway. Now, what we're trying to uh, establish here is how the people got in, and it's possible that there's doors left unlocked, be it a front door or a back door. So while people may feel that they locked their car outside and they entered their own private dwelling, that you know they're safe and they may just um, uh, forget in error to lock their back door. It's always handy to have the key on the inside of the door. Turn it as you go in. But uh, again, we're talking about last Monday morning, the 21st of March, at approximately 4.30 a.m. in College Wood in Mallow. It's an estate, housing estate, large estate. And there would be people passing in and out even though it's 4.30 a.m. in the morning, you may have noticed someone walking around the area just um, snooping, having a look here and there. And you may have seen a car or a bike, a van, any mode of transport. If there's any information, the Gardaí in Mallow would like to get a call on that. Again, we're talking about last Monday morning, 4.30 a.m. in Collegewood in Mallow. Okay. Uh, we did move on to Mitchellstown, where over the course of two or three days from the 18th of March, a property was entered in um, Clonmel Road. Now, this property was being done up and there was a lot of copper piping, radiators, etc. taken from this building. These items will be, obviously, um, put out in the market again. You may get a call at a house. If you're doing up a house, someone may call you and say, are you looking for copper piping, radiators, anything like that in the plumbing line? And they may be able to offload it to you. We would encourage you to contact Gardaí with the number of the vehicle and the description of the person. And if you can get a contact number, guards in which some would be delighted to get any call on this because it's um, an instance where people were doing up their, their house in good faith and uh, doing the best they could. And yeah, then the property's broken into and mean. they're at a loss. Yeah, because I remember a number of years ago we had a spate of these uh, Tony and items being stolen from building sites. I remember at one stage we reckoned when we pieced together all the different items that had been stolen, somebody, if it was the one person, then it would have had enough products to build a full house. Uh, the, exactly. the building requirements that, that, that were needed. So you've got to be, even though it's a house under construction or a house being renovated, you really do have to keep an eye on the on the security and the locking up of those premises. You do. You have to do the best you can and in advance contact your insurance company and, and advise them of the situation, what you're doing with your house 
and the insurance requirements, what details they need from you. It's not a standard across-the-board policy, so just to be sure to get people to notify their insurance companies when they're doing re- renovating houses like that that are unattended, maybe. Maybe consider so even I, putting an alarm in at that stage, even though the house is under renovation? Ex- exactly, but as you say, um, all these raw materials are getting very expensive in, in the current yeah. climate. And, um, you know, if people are getting at a knockdown price, then so they may be very tempted. But we would encourage people, please, to contact the Gardaí if they're being offered on um, some site or if there's a door-to-door caller, please contact your local guard station, wherever that is, and notify them of the type of vehicle and the individual involved. Okay, if it's too, it's too, if it's too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Yeah. There's a reason, reason for, for it. And then people, unlocked cars and houses, we need to go back again and keep reminding people about locking up all the time. Yes, Patricia. Uh, just in, in the space of the last week, now, before instance, one uh, in Blarney, uh, front door of a house left open and what happens is on an occasion like this the people that break into the house will look for keys that are left on a table or in a jacket something like that and they'll go then they'll try and take the car that's outside so you may have locked your car but not locked your front door or back door uh, so that happened in Blarney same uh, type instance happened in, in Glenmire where we two instances of it um, where the vehicle on one occasion was taken from the driveway and um, the car was actually left unlocked and there was uh, another set of keys in it. Whereas in the, in the other incident in Glenmire, uh, it was a, a door that was left open in the house and people made their way in and uh, they got keys and they took a car. So we just try to encourage people, whereas you take the first step of locking your car and securing it, just please secure your own front door, back door and windows in your house when you go in and you're safe. And I'm assuming a a lot of that's opportunistic. Is it somebody passing realises that front door is open or that back door is open and wanders in? Yes, like take the instance in Mallow at 4.30 in the morning. Most majority of people are gone to bed. So you will take no notice maybe of someone who's walking very quietly around and just putting their hand on the door, see does the handle move, does it go down or not, and walk away. They're making no noise with driving cars and motorbikes, etc. So it's opportunistic crime and at 4.30am in the morning we're talking about people majority of people are asleep inside bed yeah yeah yeah, and, and we've we've seen that on CCTV footage of people going into housing estates and going around from car to car to car checking to see which car is unlocked and what they can get out of the car that's it yeah. Yeah. they can spend their nights prowling around and check the car first then check the house and if they get the, into the house they can get keys to the car etc things like that yeah, because unfortunately these guys, some of these people yeah. see it as their full-time job uh, almost. Okay, we have a wonderful period of good weather at the moment and everybody's enjoying it and I actually mentioned at the top of the programme people seem to be in better form because of the good weather. So long may that uh, continue. But you reckon people need to be cautious with the good weather as well? Yes, and two or three counts. One is that um, people will go walking now and we haven't had the, the extra hour yet so just be mindful of that and please put on your fluorescent jacket when you're cycling or whether you're uh, walking. But we would appeal to the, the cyclists especially. Generally, they don't tend to wear fluorescent jackets and it may be the same colouring, the gear they wear as to what colour the bike is. It could be dark, whatever it is. And even when it's very bright, you may not see the person. So just to be make sure that you are seen when you're out there, you're visible. And also that we will have a lot of heavy traffic moving now in the coming weeks. The farmers will be getting into the fields again. Surfaces right up. They'll be able to do their ploughing, setting, etc. 
and uh, building sites, they'll be able to get into them, the construction workers. And we'll see a lot more movement of heavy goods vehicles on maybe the country roads, which we hadn't seen in the last couple of months. So just be mindful of that and to reduce your speed and to make sure that you're aware there is a reduced speed of 80k in the lesser roads as opposed to the main road. Yeah, and with the good weather, you'll have people going out and about, going for drives, maybe going to the beach, going to picnic areas or whatever. I'm always conscious um, because I I love visiting West Cork. Uh, It's an area I know quite well, but I'm always very careful when we're on the roads in West Cork. You you, you never know, and it's the same with any rural area, when you're coming around a bend, you never know what what you're going to come across. You don't, exactly. And especially with um, heavy machinery now, the big tractors, they're so big. And they take up yeah. so, so much of, we'll say, the country road as opposed to the, the normal road that, you know, you, you do have to slow down, you do have to stop to pull in. So just be mindful of that. Okay. So we'd encourage public. All right, listen, thank you for that, Tony, and thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. That is Sergeant Tony Cronin uh, joining us from Mallow Garda Station. And as Tony says, the clocks haven't gone forward. The summertime isn't in yet, but it is in from this coming weekend, Saturday into Sunday night. Clocks will go forward one hour and that means we'll be getting the brighter evenings and everybody loves when we when we get the brighter evenings an hour less in bed and that will remain in place then until the last Sunday in October but it's happening this coming weekend and we'll try and remind you of, of, of that again tomorrow the clock's going forward one hour. Bernie is taking your calls at 0818 103 103 anything you want to share with us including your pet questions please text and WhatsApps are also available 0862 103 103 we're going to take a break we've news at midday on the way. Theresa Neneskeen has been on to say that tomorrow at four o'clock our time the Pope is consecrating Russia and Ukraine to the protection of our Blessed Mother Mary and Theresa got thinking and said wouldn't it be a good idea for everybody to light a candle and maybe even say a little prayer if prayer is your thing at the same time that the Pope is doing what he's going to be doing in the Vatican four o'clock tomorrow our time and I know when this a month ago when the war when the invasion started in Russia somebody was on about consecrating Russia and it brought me back to a memory I had growing up that my mother used to pray for. I thought it was the conversion of Russia but maybe it was the consecration of uh, Russia and then of course when we looked into it it's it's something that dates back to the Marian apparition at Our Lady of Fatima back in 1917 where one of the visionaries said at the time that the Blessed Virgin Mary gave her a message of promise that the consecration of Russia as a country would usher in a period of world peace. And God knows uh, anything that can be done to give us world peace at the moment, particularly with what's going on in Russia. Uh, it, it's got to be welcome. So if you want to think about that tomorrow and uh, four o'clock, if you want to light a candle and say a prayer for peace. That's uh, what a lot of people are doing at the moment. It can't do any harm uh, for sure. Theresa, thank you for your call. And then Colm in Botovant was on to say about the census form. If you have refugees staying in your house, would you put them down on the census? I would absolutely say yes, because it's got to be everybody who's in your house on that night. Now, next week, 
as we come closer to uh, census night we certainly will have somebody back on from the Central Statistics Office we spoke with somebody at the start when they were starting to hand out the forms uh, because obviously as we get closer to the date a lot of people will have received your census form I'm assuming you have your census form at this stage and you might have already started to flick through it looking at the questions and so people will have questions about it and we certainly will do something at the back end of next week uh, Colm and we'll make a note of your question but I would absolutely say yes because I know reading down through the form I've just took a quick uh, look at it when it arrived in my house it's everybody who's staying in your house and that would include visitors and obviously it would include refugees from Ukraine as well and just on the census if you have got your census form and you've already started to take a look at it you'll notice at the very last section very last page there's a little section in the corner and this is the time capsule bit, which I am really excited about. I think this is terrific. And we're seemingly the first census in the world to include this time capsule piece where they're asking people, you don't have to, it's optional. You can fill it in. You can write anything you want uh, down on it. And the idea is that the time capsules then, they all get sealed. And in a hundred years time, when the census gets released to the general public, they will have great fun, I imagine, reading what people put down on their time capsule. But I know I've been talking with lots of people about this. And so so many people are scratching their heads saying what are you putting down on the time capsule what are you going to write down on it I'm still unsure I'm going to put something down but I'm still unsure what I'm going to put down so what we are doing next Monday on the programme uh, we've invited two of our local historians uh, to join us on the programme Terry Carney from the Skibbereen Heritage Centre and Bill Power from uh, Mitchellstown who's involved with the St George's uh, project and they're two both local historians and we've asked both of them to put their thinking caps on that if there was a time capsule contained in the census that we have been released the 1911 the 1911 one and there are two census that you can go and actually see all of the information on it but if there was a time capsule from a census 100 years ago as social historians what would they expect it to have seen written or what would they like to have seen written that would have helped them in their work then as historians and then obviously also I've asked them to think what would they like included for the future historians of of the future as well so and we'll be opening it up and asking people if you've already thought about what you're putting on your time capsule what's it going to be I did hear one and I thought it was gorgeous I heard of one woman who is going to include her grandmother's brown bread recipe that she reckons is probably 100 years old at this stage because it was the grandmother's recipe was passed on to her mother and her mother has passed it on to her and this woman has now passed it on to her daughters and it's a kind of a family brown bread recipe and she said nobody outside the family they won't give it to anyone it's one of these everybody loves their brown bread and it's their secret recipe passed down from granny and she said she's going to include that so that in 100 years time a recipe that at that stage It'll be 200 years old. Maybe somebody will sit down and decide to make the brown bread. I loved that one. I thought that was terrific. So we will look for your suggestions as well next Monday if you have. And think about it over the weekend and we'll open the phone lines to see what other people are doing when it comes to the uh, census. But back to Colin, I certainly would say yes, the answer would be uh, including the uh, refugees. And just staying on Ukraine for a moment because there's a couple of people doing fundraising events with proceeds going to the Ukraine uh, crisis. And I've had an email in to say that the Reverend 
Reverend Robert Ferris. He is Rector of Carrickrohan Union. Will be doing a will be doing two days next week, sitting out. He's raising funds for Habitat for Humanity and Christian Aid, which are two organisations that are working with locals on the ground in Ukraine. So Reverend Reverend Ferris will do will sit outside the two parish buildings from nine a.m. to five p.m. next week, and hopefully he'll get nice fine weather for it. He'll be at the Church of the Resurrection, the Square in Blarney on Monday and then the Carrick Centre the Old Quarter in Balancholic on Tuesday both days 9am to 5pm and as I say the money raised will go to the work for Habitat for Humanity and Christian Aid their work in Eastern Europe so uh, well done to Reverend Robert Ferris and we wish him luck with that and this Saturday if you're in the Mallow area Carnies of Mallow they're placing a bus at the Mallow Motor Factors that's on the Limerick Road they'll be there from half nine in the morning until two in the afternoon and they're looking they want to fill the bus up with as much items as they can and then the bus goes back to Quartertown and then everything gets loaded onto an Arctic trailer and then it will get shipped to Ukraine now they have specific items that they're looking for they've you know made contact with the people that are working on the ground over in Ukraine and what they're most looking for so they're looking for any kind of non-perishable food items canned foods things like noodles tuna salmon anything like anything like that but as long as it's in a can now obviously it's very cold in Ukraine at the moment so they're looking for blankets and then there's a variety of toiletries shower gels and shampoo toilet rolls if you want to give toothbrushes and toothpaste deodorant then for the babies nappies any kind of formula if you're giving new uh, if you're donating some babies bottles please make sure they're new and in their, their sealed containers any kind of sanitary items baby wipes and then from a medicine point of view for children things like Calpol for the adults things like Panadol and then also they are suggesting that people might throw in a few colouring books and crayons for the kids and any kind of chocolate at all and you can drop them off as as I say to Mallow Motor Factors on the Limerick Road where Carnies of Mallow will have a bus that's next Saturday morning from half nine until two good luck with that then someone was on to us when we were talking about I think it was following our chat with Christopher O'Sullivan when we were talking about people locally fundraising to cover the cost of an SNA, which I just cannot understand. If a child needs a special needs assistant, then the special needs assistant should be available. Simple as I just I can't understand how they're getting a half an SNA or an SNA shared between a, a group of children. It just doesn't make any sense to me and looks like it's all going back to cost. Chair in East Cork says, so much is the royal visit costing the Irish taxpayer? They should pay for their own security. It's a pity they weren't brought around Cork City to see all the homeless and they could have been taken into penny dinners for a bite to eat and the money that they're using security could have gone to those where the causes are to cover the cost of SNAs. Now we did a quick check to see how much are we expecting the visit of Charles and Camilla to cost but as with all of these a royal visit or a visit by an American president or any other dignitary it's always after the event that we find out how much it costs it's never before and it certainly is never during their visit I suppose they don't want to slur the visit in any way to say they were complaining about the cost of it so I did a quick Google search while the news was on and the last visit that I've come across that cost the taxpayer money would have been the visit of Prince William and his wife Kate Middleton that was in 2020 
was when they came to visit and the security detail for that was 1.3 million euro and from what it was a three day visit in March of 2020 just as we were heading in really to the start of the pandemic so it was 1.3 million that was on the security and they went to places like they went to see Michael T Higgins in the Garden of Remembrance they were at government buildings they were at the Guinness storehouse they always bring everybody to the Guinness storehouse and then they went to Chagas in County Meath they were in County Kildare and they also went to a local GAA club in Galway anyway 1.3 million was what the security detail cost and then under a freedom of information some of the press discovered a little over 63,000 extra was also spent on food transport and photography so you can expect that it will be well over a million euro and I am assuming Ger, from your comment in East Cork you would not be pleased with that 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 money could be better spent somewhere else uh, Oh just on teletext remember yesterday I mentioned from it was Jim and Kildallery kicked it off he, he hasn't been able to access Airtel's teletext service on Serview and he hasn't been able to do it since, since, since last weekend there seems to be some problem of course I just mentioned it to see was it just something specific to where Jim was li- living we got a flurry of text in from all over the county don't know if we got any calls in from the city but certainly across the county a lot of people seem to still use the Airtel Teletech service now we've sent off an email to Serview because it's it's up on the Serview service but we haven't had anything back yet and there's a couple of people who've been on saying I'm really missing the Teletext I'm wondering did you, did you make contact with them and did you find out anything from them because I haven't this one listener saying I haven't been able to find any way to make contact with them we got an email address and we've sent off an email but I've just checked with Bernie nothing back yet if we get anything back before they close the programme today or tomorrow I certainly will update you on it uh, we spoke about a shortage of GPs Um, earlier John says it isn't just a shortage of GPs says John do you know there's also a 20% shortage on consultants within the public health system how will the system cope with the number of refugees coming into our country you're not the only one worried about that and then a final one from Jim says Patricia I watched that CAB programme it was on Virgin Media last night I haven't watched it uh, yet uh, but it's one I've I must get, do on catch up get it on the player uh, Jim says brilliant programme what a fine way they deal with and bring down crime and bring the right, the wrong people to justice I then watched the decision makers programme on RTE this was the one about the uh, councillors and the decision making department and how some councils can get things so uh, wrong there was a lot of different councils mentioned including one council that spent money building a bridge that didn't exist so all of the corrupt people involved had to resign from the council but they resigned with pension and a praise letter for the loyalty that they gave to the council and they almost got a pat on the back for the wrong decisions that they made. I thought after the programme was finished having watched the cab one first and then followed it on by what's wrong in some of our local authorities. It got Jim thinking should we get cab to investigate what goes wrong in some of our councils would they be able to sort it out? 0818 103. Our lines are open. We are in particular looking for your pet questions, please. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 
103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. And we've got a couple of cancellations. There's no bingo in Bandon GAA tonight. It will be back next week. And the Dance and Kilbehany Community Centre due to be held tomorrow night, Friday. That's also been uh, cancelled. The weekly cards, though, are returning to Drumahan Community Hall. That's on tonight at 9pm. And, of course, lots of events planned for Daffodil Day tomorrow, including a coffee morning in Hurley Centre on Main Street in Mallow from half 10 until 12 noon. The Rotary Club of Bandon, they've got their annual Daffodil Day breakfast in the Munster Arms Hotel from 8am tomorrow morning. You're invited to please come along and support. A fundraiser will take place in Clondrohet Community Hall tomorrow Friday. Drinks and finger food reception at 7.15. All tickets purchased for November are still valid. An entertainment on the night by Jim and Seamus. A coffee morning to highlight adult education that takes place in Gloucester, Stefan Neafa tomorrow morning and that's from 10am all are welcome Court today on C103 call Patricia with your comment 0818 103 103 now John O'Donovan from the city has been on to us and he's wondering what other listeners are making about the spat between the Tornista Leo Varadkar and the Kerry Independent Dáil Deputy Michael Healy Ray because John in the city feels that the Tornista Leo Varadkar totally, totally overreacted to the comment that was made by Michael Healy Ray inside in the doll. And I don't know how many people are, I'm assuming most people are aware of this spat that went on earlier on in the week. Now, from what I can gather, there was a, you know, as often happens inside in the doll, they're kind of roaring across at each other and there's a bit of a spat going on between the two of them. So at some stage, Deputy Michael Healy Ray took exception to something that Leo Varadkar had said. And it looks to me like Michael Healy Ray felt that Leo Varadkar was looking down on him and putting him down in some way because the comment from Michael Healy Ray was, you're no man to look down on me. I'm elected here every bit as good as you are. Now, this is the part that Leo Varadkar took offence to. Michael Healy Ray then said, off you go with the airy fairies and we'll see what good it will do you. Now, he made that comment. Leo Varadkar straight away told him to go away and reflect on it and that he, you know, he wasn't happy with what Michael Healy Ray had said. And then the, since then, it's got a lot of discussion online. It's got a lot of discussion on other radio programmes. It's made the uh, papers. Michael Healy Ray is adamant that he has nothing. He's not, he can't, because obviously Leo Varadkar wants an apology. Michael Healy Ray says, I can't apologise. And the reason I can't apologise is I have nothing to apologise for. And Michael Healy Ray has made the point that away with the fairies or away with the airy fairies is a term that he uses a lot. But I think what some people are picking up on is when you say, you know, to somebody, are you away with the fairies? Are you away with the airy fairies? You're using it as a verb. Whereas the phrase that he used to away with the airy fairies, he used it as a noun. And of course, 
as everybody knows, Leo Varadkar is very open about his sexuality and very open about the fact that he is uh, a gay man. And some gay people will take offence to being called a fairy. It's, you know, it's it's an offensive term uh, to the LGBT uh, community. So that's what Leo Varadkar was picking up on. But Michael Healy Ray is saying, I didn't mean it that way. That wasn't the way I meant it. You know, he said he never would set out to offend anyone. And he said the Thornishton knows that. But yet he will not back down and he will not issue an apology. And Leo Varadkar feels an apology is necessary. And certainly people in the LGBT community feel that an apology is uh, necessary. So John's point is that Leo Varadkar overreacted and that he shouldn't have said anything. And of course, if Leo Varadkar hadn't said anything, if after that comment was made, there was Leo Varadkar in the doll straight across immediately to Michael Healy Ray because he obviously took offence to it because he like straight away said you need to go away and reflect on what you've said and then come back and you know apologise or come back and withdraw I don't know if he straight away looked for an apology I think he asked him to come back and withdraw but Michael Healy Ray now has completely dug his heels in and says he has absolutely nothing to apologise for and as I say there is a division now between people who are seeing it from Leo Varadkar's point of view and you know if Leo Varadkar was hurt then that was Leo Varadkar's feelings uh, were hurt and others then are seeing it from Michael Healy Ray's point of view and said he meant nothing by it but by meaning nothing by it if somebody takes exception and somebody is hurt I don't know if somebody's hurt by something you say even if you didn't mean it do you be the should you be the bigger person and apologise and say because he openly has said that he never meant it as a slur on his sexuality and that he never meant it to co- meant it to cause offence but it has caused offence and it has caused offence to the Thornishta and because there's so much commentary on it now it's obviously causing further offence to other people in the LGBT community. So your thoughts are welcomed on that. Are you with John? Did Leo Varadkar simply overreact? Should he just have let the comment go and say nothing? Um, or would you be on the side if people are saying Michael Healy Ray should actually apologise because Leo Varadkar took offence? Your thoughts welcomed on that 0818 103 103. We're also looking for your pet questions please because Jane Pickett our resident vet is going to be joining us or you can text her WhatsApp a question in for Jane to 0862 103 103 Record today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 0862 103 103 And we're off to the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group where our resident vet Jane Pickett joins me Good afternoon to you Jane Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. And listen, I'm just after getting this uh, WhatsApp in and it's just one of those heartbreaking little stories with a question for you, uh, Jane. And it says, hi, Jane, a question about my Bichon Freeze, Joe, who's 13. Our other Bichon of 15 years passed away about two months ago and Joey always had company any time they were left alone, which, by the way, is very seldom. But when we do go out now, Joe is absolutely distraught. We have a ring cam and he barks, works himself into a right state, toilets everywhere, which he never does, only now when he's left alone. He's always been my shadow, but now I literally can't be out of his sight. I know it's not healthy, but I've no idea how to help my poor little baby. Thanking you. Isn't that just heartbreaking? Oh, it is. You know, it's, it's a really tough time when you lose a pet for everybody in the family, the other pets included. 
Um, I think it's really important to kind of, although it may not be something they can verbalize and tell us about, we we do know, and anecdotally, I've seen it in my own pets and my own family, when a pet in the household passes away, it really impacts the rest of them, particularly if it was, let's say, two dogs together and they were extremely closely bonded. I suppose like like ourselves, after a loss, they do, do, do go through a, a period of grieving and adjustment. And I suppose really from that perspective, time and support is what this little doggy probably needs as regards what you could maybe do to make things a little easier for him, it sounds like you're really trying to to help him adjust. But when, let's say when he is spending short periods on his own, and, and I appreciate that you're saying it's very infrequent, which is, is good, I think, in this situation. If he does have to be left on his own, it may be that the silence is something he's not used to. Certainly his little buddy that used to kind of keep him company is gone. But um, I think the other things that accompany that, there's no kind of noise around the house. So one thing that can be helpful is is putting on the radio in the background, just the sound of a voice. I know if I go out and I leave my little dog Sally sometimes, again, very occasionally I leave the radio on because she, she goes stir crazy if I don't have some noise in the background. And sometimes that can just help to soothe them a little bit, that they feel like there's somebody there or there's some noise going on. Um, also giving them some distraction. So using something like a fillable treat toy, like a Kong or one of the other kind of robust plastic ones like that, that could be filled with tasty treats. If your dog is really good at eating those very quickly, such that they don't really last very long after you've left, you can even pop them in the freezer to give them an extra challenge. So it melts really kind of distracting from that anticipation of you leaving him alone and maybe trying to smooth the transition from there being people around to him being on his own for brief periods with a bit of distraction like that can help. As as kind of general advice, it is very common that after the loss of another kind of accompanying pet, they very much bond and you're saying he's always your shadow, but really sticking to you like glue is, is quite a common thing we see when, when pets are grieving and adjusting because they're kind of source of, let's say, uh, emotional comfort that they may have got from the other accompanying dog. There's kind of a little void there left, so they're very much probably transferring all of that onto you in addition for the love and care that you had they had for you before so I think being patient with that and being kind of quite I suppose just leaving him follow you around if that's feasible for you is probably the best thing because all he's doing is trying to get support so I think the more support you can provide the better and also get him out and about get him out and about into the daylight it's very much like ourselves um daylight could be really really good for our mental health and it's exactly the same for pets so out and about on lots of walks with yourself to support him um and and sometimes that can help just giving them a little bit of distraction but obviously there will be a grieving period it's it's really heartbreaking but it's 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 one of those those sad sad facts of, of yeah, life really. and it's only yeah. two it's only two months since the other little Bijan Freeze uh, passed away so it is it's it's early days it's a bereavement yeah. process it literally is a bereavement really process would you suggest another dog not companion. I wouldn't rush into it. Okay. I think a lot of people feel a, a bit of pressure to, I suppose, add another pet to the situation, and sometimes that can help. But I think it's not something to be rushed into because I suppose you're you're signing yourself up for another ten to fifteen year commitment. If that's something you're good with, then great. But I really think pause after you lose a pet is really beneficial. You need time to, you know, the pets in the household and the family, we all need time to kind of process the loss of that pet before we kind of can make a conscious and, and I suppose educated decision on if we are yeah. to add another pet to the family, what's what's the best way to go about that. Don't, so don't, I don't I rush, rush in. into it. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. advice. Now, Mary has a question about her 10, 
her 10-year-old Springer Spaniel bitch is wetting her bed continuously and obviously it was something she wasn't doing before. We're treating her with a non-prescription drops but all to no avail. Any help, please? What do you think could be going on? Okie doke. There's a few things that could be going on here. Certainly it sounds like it's a change for your pet. They haven't kind of wet inside the house previously or certainly not to this extent. Um, In an older female dog, there's a few things that could be going on. It could be that there's a little bladder infection there and that kind of urgency to pee is a little bit greater. So she might be getting caught short inside the bed when she needs to pee. Sometimes and more commonly in older female dogs, um, the the little kind of, let's say, it's almost akin to kind of a, a plug or a little door on the bladder that keeps all the all the urine inside. It becomes a little bit um, looser. So sometimes we can get little urine leaks in older dogs. And that's generally due to hormonal ch- changes associated with later life in these little dogs. And there are things that can actually be done about that to, to be beneficial. So there are medications that are available. There's a few things that could be happening here. And I think delving a little bit deeper into your little dog's other history as regards their drinking habits and whether that's changed um, in addition kind of the volume of pee you're seeing will be helpful so this is one that I would say it's time to visit your vet one really helpful thing you can do is bring along a morning pee sample with you if you can bring that with you to your appointment to your vet they'll be able to kind of immediately start to do some testing on that and take some action so that's a really helpful thing as regards the the non-prescription drops, I'm not quite sure what they might be. So I, I, I kind of can't really make a comment on whether that would be beneficial or not. But I think it's time to visit your vet and get some kind of um, advice and an examination done. OK, and an email in from Nick saying, Hi Patricia, question for Jane. Is there anything that will clean away the brown tear stains from around my dog's eyes? I have a little cavishin. Mm. There is a product that's available for this. Um, it's normally stocked by groomers. I think uh, so, some vets may have it. I believe, and don't quote me on it, I think it's called Diamond Eyes. Okay. Um, but if you speak to your local vet or your, your groomer, they, they may be able to Google it for you and figure it out. And that can kind of take away the, the staining around the eyes, particularly in, in white or lighter colored dogs. But a really important consideration is, is this just a little bit of tear staining that's showing up more obviously because your dog has light coat, so normal kind of eye discharge, or is it an eye discharge that needs um, medical attention? So if it's if it's a change for your dog and it hasn't always been this way, if there's more tears coming from the eye or more staining, or even if the discharge is in any way kind of gunky, thick, creamy or green, then it definitely requires a visit to your vet just to confirm before you start taking any measures to get rid of the staining that it's not an eye problem that needs treatment in its own right. Okay, and somebody says, we are about to take on a six-month-old collie pup uh, that a friend of ours is no longer able to look after. I'm wondering how soon we should get the dog neutered. Okay, for a six-month-old collie pup, if you're just about to take um, it on, is it male or female, Patricia? Uh, When can we get her? Her. Her. Perfect. Um, So if if it's a little girl... I would suggest any time from six months of age onwards would be fine for spaying of a kind of a medium-sized collie dog. However, what I would say is if she is going to be new to your household, give her a few months for everything to settle down. You want her to feel really nice and secure, have adjusted to her new home environment, have adjusted to you guys before she undergoes a surgical procedure. And that's mainly so that, you know, you're reducing her stress levels around the time of surgery, but also afterwards. You're going to have to be, you know, making sure that she's clean and comfortable, possibly medicating her after surgery with pain relief. 
So it's really important that you have kind of that bond built with your little dog um, before they go for surgery. So I would say in the next couple of months, but make sure your dog is well settled beforehand. Okay, and a final one. Hi, question for Jane, please. How do you stop a male dog humping all the time? The dog is neutered, but is still humping hard. Now, I don't know if this is an old wives tale. Robbie said, I heard if you put mustard on his bits is meant to stop it, but I'm not sure if that's true or not. It sounds like an old wives tale. (laughs) And rather painful as well, may I say. I, I'd say so. I, I, I would strongly advise that mustard doesn't go near any any of those sensitive bits. I don't okay. think that would be very safe. So that that's the starting point anyway. Um, what I would say is this can be very difficult. And I understand it can be quite a frustrating behavior to have around the house, particularly if you have visitors in, it can get quite embarrassing. Even though he is castrated, some of these kind of boy behaviors if they've started before the time of castration they're to do with the hormones the testosterone sometimes we see a reduction in them if they've already started when they are castrated but if those behaviors are already kind of well established and they're a behavior to do with the brain rather than kind of a hormonal drive it's more habit they can continue what i would say is if it's becoming a problem rather than let it fester and you guys getting frustrated and the dog is just doing what he he thinks he should be doing it might be time to have a chat to your local vet as to who they would work with for behavioral work because it may just be you know a process of um working with a behaviorist to have strategies in place to kind of break the habit a little bit but it is possibly something that may persist longer term but um, i think a little bit of professional help may be helpful at this juncture rather than getting more frustrated with it as time goes on because the longer the behavior continues for Worse, the more deeply yeah, ingrained that's it, it gets that's it it becomes a bad habit okay listen have a great week and we'll chat to you next thursday jane thank you for that great thank and you. thanks for joining us uh, jane pickett of the islandwood veterinary hospital in newmarket part of the mill street veterinary group and i can see a flurry of uh, texts and calls coming in reacting to John in the city who felt that Leo Varadkar overreacted to the comment of away with the away with the airy fairies that Michael Healy Ray made across the doll to Leo Varadkar. Just let me give you some of the texts that have come in. I totally agree with John in the city. Leo Varadkar totally overreacted. Leo should be worrying about the, lo- the cost of living. COVID and the problems in Ukraine I thought it was rather childish Someone else says I think Leo Varadkar got overexcited. Sure a lot of us use that phrase away with the fairies. It's meant as a joke People now are too sensitive these days. Ross says Michael Healy Ray should not apologise as he gets put down by the government lots of time times Leo needs to cop on. Hi Patricia, Michael Healy Ray's serious ill temper was clearly visible in the doll during that exchange with the Thornishta to the point where his narrow prejudiced views became unveiled for all to see. I believe he should apologise for the, his disgraceful unparliamentary behaviour at the very least. Uh, that's from Mary in Cork City. And hi Patricia, why are you even talking? about Leo and Michael Healy, Healy Ray. God almighty, isn't there enough going on in the world without having to listen to that childish spat between the two of them? Look up the meaning of airy fairy and stop trying to stop trying to make a drama out of nothing. This type of childish bull just makes me mad, says that uh, texter. Regarding the comment to Leo, I listened to the, to the discussions as this texter and quite honestly, it was terribly offensive in my opinion. 
opinion Michael Healy Ray was wrong Hi Patricia do we really need to watch every word we're saying nowadays we've become a pathetic country and this pathetic world that we're living in says Tim everything is gone now so PC Hi Patricia maybe Leo should apologise to all the people of the country there is a few meaning to that saying why is Leo getting his knickers in a twist and a final one says there's no way Michael Healy Ray intended anything more than off you go with your head in the clouds or as we uh, say you're a bit dizzy you're away with the you're away with the fairies Michael Healy Ray was unhappy with the Everatkers handling of something that he wanted discussed this listener says I think it was something to do with a wind energy farm in Bally Longford however it would clear the air if Michael Healy Ray explained this to the house and offer apology especially if it was taken the wrong way that's some of your texts and calls coming in my thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock onto the line Patricia Messenger have a very good afternoon enjoy the sunshine Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colours saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.